and welcome to Ground Control Parenting, a blog and now a podcast created for parents raising black and brown children. I'm the creator and your host, Carol Sutton Lewis. In this podcast series, I talk with some really interesting people about the job and the joy of parenting. I am very excited to have as my guest today, Tanya Van Court, founder and CEO of Goal Setter, a savings platform designed for kids. Tanya's going to talk with us about how parents can help their children get smart about saving money, spending money, and helping money grow. Tanya launched Goal Setter in 2016 after many years working in the digital space, having led digital products at Nickelodeon and Discovery Education, among others. She has dual degrees in engineering from Stanford, and she also likes to say she has three degrees in parenting from her children, Gabrielle, 15, Hendrix, 11, and Maxwell, 6. Welcome to Ground Control Parenting, Tanya. Thank you, Carol. I'm so excited to be here with you. It is great to have you here to talk about parenting and teaching our children to understand and build wealth, and especially generational wealth, which we really need to know how to build. Thanks so much for taking time from your busy schedule to do so. And so let's get started. So first, I want you to tell us about goal setters. So the best entrepreneurial concepts come from problems that need solving. And so yours grew out of two situations, distant in time, that you managed to relate in in a genius way. So you suffered a big stock market loss early in your career, and you vowed to pay the lessons of that loss forward to your future children. You didn't even have children then. (laughs) And then fast forward years later, your then 11-year-old daughter, Gabrielle, really wanted a bicycle for her birthday. So the genius comes in connecting those problems and coming up with a solution. So can you tell us how Goal Setter came out of that and, and how it solved the problems? Sure. You know, it's it's interesting, Carol, because Gabrielle, for her birthday, she actually said she wanted two things. She wanted a bike and enough money to save for an investment account. And uh-huh. exactly. And so, you know, when you hear this young girl say this, I still remember her. She had these two puff ponytails on the side of her head. And I looked at her and thought, if I can get every black and brown child to say that, I can change the world. Um, mm-hmm. And so it was that impetus to not only, you know, want to pat myself on the back for hooray, job well done for this child in this moment, because we all know that there's some moments where you're patting yourself and then other moments <laughs> when you're on your knees in prayer. Um, but, you know, it was the impetus to not just celebrate that moment, but to, to literally think about, how could every black and brown parent in America celebrate that same moment with their children? How could we spread this throughout our country as the norm? How do we normalize understanding wealth for our children? Um, and that's, mm-hmm. that, that's what led me to launch Goal Center. So I, I am a longtime fan of Goal Center. So I, I feel like I know it well, but for the benefit of our listeners who haven't yet had the privilege of encountering it, can you just give us the basics of what it does and, and how it does it? Absolutely. Well, Goal Center is the best money app for your family. Uh, we all know that everything in America has gone cashless. Everywhere you go, it is a cashless experience. And, um, you know, we have no need for cash as adults, quite frankly, anymore. But then you walk into your home and all of a sudden cash becomes a topic in your home. You've got, you know, a 16 year old who says, I want to go out with my friends. Can I have some money? You have an 11 year old who says, I need allowance. You have a a six year old who is still getting a $20 bill and a card from, you know, that distant aunt who doesn't quite know what to give. And so sends that $20 bill in the card. Cash still is a thing in families. 
And it's a thing that is painful. It's a thing that no one wants to deal with anymore. And so goal setter really is the, the, the best solution to taking your whole family cashless, but doing it in a way that is responsible, doing it in a way that helps your kids to learn and doing it in a way that is developmentally appropriate to help them with whatever their money needs are at the moment. So we're a savings account. We are a teen and tween debit card. We are a financial education platform that is game-based and fun and centered on memes and gifs from hip-hop artists and social media influencers to explain key financial literacy concepts. We are an allowance platform and we're a gift-giving platform. So we let family members and friends gift goal cards instead of gift cards on birthdays and holidays. So kids get real money towards real dreams in a real FDIC-insured account. And instead of teaching our kids, hey, here are 10 gift cards, go spend them, be the next generation of consumer. Even if you didn't want anything at Target, go spend this Target gift card. We are teaching our goal setter kids, here's how you save money. You get 10 goal cards with $20 each. You now have $200. You can learn to save for a goal that's important to you. You can learn delayed gratification. You can learn about the power of giving up small things in favor of something large and the power of achieving your dreams. So mm. our next generation banking for kids, but we do it in a way that encompasses every single way that kids get money in your house. So, you know, I, I love this concept and, and I love what you've done with it. And what's really interesting as you talk, um, so much has happened since you actually began it in five short years ago, but you were clearly ready for the future because you're right. We are now cashless and it's really important that our children understand what it means to spend money wisely. And, and it's even, it's different than, you know, you talk about the different gift cards, even if you got a, a bank card and a, a visa or a MasterCard as a gift, it's different because with goal setter, you're actually, as you said, teaching children about the value of money and encouraging them to not figure out how to spend the money they have, but figure out what they need, what they want, and how to get the money for it. Can you talk a little bit about the the games and the, the ways that you instill a little financial literacy in there while they are trying to get uh, their, to, to whatever goal they have? Yeah, absolutely. So listen, the first thing is we let kids save for goals, big or small, short-term or long-term. And just by virtue of giving them the power of saving for something that they really want, that's changing their lives, right? My, my five-year-old the other day said, mommy, I want a helicopter. Can you go on the computer and buy me a helicopter? And I said, no, but I can go on the computer and tell you how much a helicopter costs. And, <laughs> and so we did that. And now guess what? He's saving for his helicopter and he's doing little chores around the house to get his helicopter and he's five. And so, so the first lesson is if you want your kid to be a saver, just say no. If you just say no to buying them all the things they want, they will figure out a way to get those things. The second thing though is that America has only taught our kids the concept of how do you use money? When you go to any kid or any family in America and say, tell me what you know about money, the maximum you'll probably get is the spend, save, share concept. I'm supposed to spend some, I'm supposed to share some, and I'm supposed to save some. And that's fantastic. And it's alliterative. And that's a wonderful thing too. But the truth of the matter is, all that's teaching our kids is about the uses of money. It's not teaching our kids about how you grow money. 
And so what Goal Setter does is we have these fun financial literacy quizzes. They are all mapped to national financial literacy standards put out by jumpstart.org, kindergarten all the way through 12th grade. So no matter what age your kid is, they are learning age-specific and grade-level financial education. They're learning about stocks versus bonds and APY versus APR and at the youngest levels, needs versus wants. They're learning all of those critical concepts, but they're doing it all powered by, this is the Nickelodeon in me, Carol, because I worked at Nickelodeon before Goal Center. So they're doing it powered by memes and GIFs from hip hop artists and social media influencers and YouTube personalities. So when Beyonce says, can you pay my bills? Can you pay my telephone bills? We use that to explain Beyonce wouldn't need anyone to pay her bills. If she would just save for an emergency fund, she would have enough money to pay her own bills. It's three to six months of your expenses. (laughs) And so that's how kids are learning. And I have to tell you, it is changing our kids' lives. There's a a little girl here in Brooklyn. She is 12 years old. Her name is Sade. Sade was asked, what do you love best about Goal Setter? She said, the thing that I love best is that Goal Setter teaches me things about money. I never knew I was supposed to know. I thought money was all about saving some and spending some. But now I know it's about compound interest and frugality and the rule of 72. Her language is changing. She's changing to talk about investments and growing money and building wealth. That is amazing and wonderful. And it leads me directly to my next question, which is, um, I'm sure I speak for a lot of parents who have to confess to a little bit of financial literacy jitters themselves. I mean, the the adults, all of us, um, those of us who grew up with those that alliterative spend, share, and, and those of us who manage money but still are sort of nervous about it. There is a national nervousness around the concept of what we do with money. So say I'm a parent who knows I'm supposed to be teaching this to my child, but I have to acknowledge that there's a little bit of, I, I don't, I don't know what AYR is. I don't, you know, what if, how, so how, what do you say to parents to, to try to help to quell their own jitters about their inexperience in the topic, no matter how much they've actually earned, they may not be as focused on the best ways of using it. Listen, you know, what we say to parents is you're not alone. And that's the problem. We all feel shame and we all feel like we're alone and we're the only ones who maybe aren't using our money in the best way or maybe didn't start investing early enough or maybe aren't talking to our kids about money enough. And guess what? You're not alone. 90% of wealthy families lose their wealth by the third generation. Guess what? Those are your neighbors and your friends and your Jack and Jill members and your sorority members and your you know, alumni association members. They, they are all struggling with how to talk to their kids about money, too. 70% of middle-class African-Americans are projected to have a child who falls out of the middle class. It's because we have not grown up with money and wealth at the, the, as the dinner conversation. And so we don't know how to make it the dinner conversation. So, you know, understanding that we are all in this together and there is no shame with figuring out is the first step. I think the second one for us is we have created these financial literacy quizzes that, quite frankly, Carol, are just fun. And we have parents and kids who do them together. Mm. I live in Brooklyn and one of my friends in the neighborhood, I saw her walking through the neighborhood the other day and she shouted out, Tanya, we love Goal Setter. We use it on Sunday nights. My son and I sit down and we take the financial literacy quizzes together. 
And so you can learn right alongside your child. And there is no, you know, there's no judgment or shame there. And it, it creates conversation opportunities where, you know, your kid can ask you questions about, you know, hey, so, you know, do you think I should invest as soon as I get a job? And, and Goal Setter walks you through those answers. Um, so it, it really mm-hmm. is a great conversation tool that takes a lot of those expectations that you're supposed to be a financial expert. It takes them away. That's great. You know, the statistic you just quoted about uh, middle-class families will have uh, future children who don't stay in middle-class. I think that's critical because we focus so much on um, aspirational goals, on, on getting to a certain level of being able to provide for our families. And we really don't talk about generational wealth. And by wealth, I don't mean sort of phenomenal wealth. I mean, just being able to pass something on to your children who can then understand the value, who, who have a leg up because they got a little bit from their parents and, and then they in turn can do the same. So it, it, I, I have to, I can't emphasize enough how important that is. We, we often understandably and naturally talk about the establishment of financial goals for people who don't have a lot, because that is how they get from having not a lot to having a lot. But even for people who have have some access to resources, it's really, really important. And, and often it's that level of, of families in the black and brown community who are so focused elsewhere that they don't really focus on, on this. Everyone's very excited about what they were able to do for their children, but this is something you really have to do for your children to make sure your children can do for their children. But, but speaking of sort of making this broader than just that, can you tell me a little bit about Drafted, your campaign in which, um, uh, well, I'll let you tell what it is, but your new exciting campaign about getting the message of saving out to a lot of kids? Absolutely. So um, in February for Black History Month, we decided that we wanted to to make Black History Month 2021 truly historic. We wanted to not just celebrate our history, we wanted to change our future. And so we partnered with the NBA Players Association because there are, are no people as iconic and, um, you know, really revered right now in terms of the voice that they are using to stand up for social justice and the courage that they are displaying on the court and off um, than, than so many of the NBA players. And so we partnered with the NBA Players Association on this movement called Drafted. And Drafted is to get a million black and brown kids saving. Why do we think that's so important? Because kids who have savings accounts in their name are proven to be six times more likely to go to college, and four times more likely to own stocks by the time they're young adults. And so if we can get every black and brown kid in America, then we can start to make strides towards closing the wealth gap because those kids will know how to save, how to invest, how to build generational wealth, and they will start doing it early. They'll start investing by 25. And so it really is important that every kid in America have a savings account, right? We focus on debit cards because that's the the easy, shiny thing, but we need to teach our kids how to save. So with Drafted, Chris Paul kicked it off. Chris Paul drafted the first 100 kids in his hometown to get goal setter savings accounts with $40 in each account as a nod to 40 acres and a mule. And he asked, who's got next? And he passed the ball to Jalen Brown, who uh, plays for the Boston Celtics and was an all-star this year. And he passed the ball to Anthony Tolliver, who passed the ball to 20 other NBA players sequentially. And Harrison Barnes picked up the ball in Sacramento and said, I'm going to draft 500 kids. And then that went across the country and went to 
CC Sabathia in Major League Baseball and Sloan Stevens in tennis and went to major corporations like UBS Bank that drafted 2,000 kids and Nike drafted 10,000 kids. And so now you're in a place where corporations are still drafting kids and individuals are still drafting kids. We have literally created this movement across America where people are talking to their families, their communities, their churches about Goal Setter, and they're doing that from an awareness perspective, but they're also doing it from an access perspective. So if there are kids in that community who can't afford a savings account, they're drafting them. If there are kids in that community who can afford a savings account, they're letting them know this is the one to sign up for because this is the one where you're going to get culturally relevant financial literacy curriculum, a savings account, um, and the tools that your kid needs to be financially free. We need it on both sides of our community, Carol, not just the have-nots, but the haves as well. Absolutely. And, you know, you said a word that's one of my favorites, access, because it's the access to information. When we know what we need to know, we can figure it out and we can we can get it. That stat about having savings accounts makes you more likely to go to college, makes you more likely to buy stocks. We we can't even get close to that if we don't even, if we don't have to start at the beginning. And I love that these players are involved because it's tempting to think of them as these young men and women that just get a whole bunch of money. And there are all these cautionary tales when they're not able to keep their wealth. And so I'm so glad there's a new breed of young professional athletes who are financially focused and really financially literate are worried and concerned about financial literacy. So that's great. And that's great that you have corralled them all into doing this wonderful thing. So we'll keep an eye on who else is drafting. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I want to make a little shift here because this is a parenting podcast. And while we're talking about what great things Goal Setter does for parents and children generally, I want to kind of hone the, the focus back to you a little bit. And I have to say that, you know, I, I mentioned earlier that part of your interest in becoming financially savvy was when you had this loss early in your career in the stock market and you realized that you might, you, you came out of it relatively fortunately in that you hadn't leveraged against it, but you learned about it's important to diversify. You had some really valuable lessons. But what really struck me about that story is that you were most focused on making sure that when you had children, that they would not have the same issues that they would, they, they would learn from your mistakes. You were relatively young and you were already focused on your unborn children, your future kids. That suggested to me that you had envisioned yourself being a parent from relatively early days. Is that right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, so my personal story, Carol, is that, um, you know, my mom was an elementary school teacher in the Oakland public schools. My mom was a single mom of six kids. Um, and she used to bring home more kids on the weekends. So she was a mother to so many more in my community other than just her kids. Um, but my mom died of a brain aneurysm when I was six years old. And so my aunt, my mother's sister, took in all six of us. And she was extraordinary. She didn't just give us a roof over our heads and food on the table. She made us read about great African-American historical figures in the summer because she said, if you know your history, you'll know your greatness. And so we had to write reports on them. Um, she used to make us do extra math homework because she said the future was STEM. She was, um, you know, both rooted in history and rooted in, you know, what the future would bring and preparing us for the future. And so, you know, she was an extraordinary surrogate mother to me. But, you know, as a as a as a daughter who loses your mother early on, 
um, there's a hole and there's a gap in you. And so for me, the only way that hole could have been filled was to have children of my own, um, whether I got those children through, you know, having them naturally or adopting them, but just having a, a mother child relationship was very important to me from, from the time I was little. So I, I understand that completely. That makes so much sense. It sounds like you had an amazing, an amazing aunt who really stepped in and um, created a, a, a wonderful parenting dynamic to go from, I don't know how many children she had to begin with, but to add on six, <laughs> six in, at one time. I mean, now that we are adults and parents, <laughs> it just, it, it's amazing. But what kind of parenting lessons did you take from that? I mean, you were you were very um, fortunate in that she, from what it sounds like, she really instilled in you a lot of great lessons. But when you talk about that whole, I mean, what? How did that impact how you approached parenting your children? Did you feel the need to to sort of spend a lot of time with them when they were little? I mean, what, or or once you had them, did did you feel as if once they came along, you would satisfy that that whole, or or did you feel there was more to it than that. Well, you know, <laughs> the um, my my husband, he was my husband. Uh, <laughs> he he and the kids used to have a nickname for me, which was the baby hog. Uh, once we got a divorce, <laughs> so Carol, I think that answers it for you. That no, I never felt like just having the children was enough. I needed them up under me twenty four hours a day. When we went on vacations when they were young, there was no vacation without the children. Are you kidding me? Like, why on earth would I leave my children behind? And so I, I think I was a little obsessive. Um, I've gotten considerably better now that they've gotten older and they have just, you know, dissed me every uh, every, every turn they get. Um, but also because, you know, life forces you to create a little bit of balance, particularly when you're an entrepreneur. Um, and I think that life forces you to, you know, I mean, you know, my balance is probably off kilter now, quite frankly, in the other direction. I want to be able to spend more time with my kids. I want to be able to spend less time working. And so for me, there is this push and pull between I want to save all the black and brown kids in America, but I need to be sure I'm taking care of home and and spending enough enough time with my own kids as well. And so, you know, it's what all moms experience. We are all struggling with that work-life balance and, and you know, it's no different here and particularly and worse during COVID, I think. Oh my goodness, yes. I, I, I have a running debate among friends with children of various ages. What age is the most challenging to parent your children through COVID? I think everybody feels like they win. Even people like myself who have adult children because the adult children come back home That's right. <laughs> and it's a total different dynamic. So from toddlers to adult children, it has all been so incredibly challenging. But, you know, I want to ask you about your entrepreneurial spirit and the muscles that you have had to create and, and that you exercise in, on, in being an entrepreneur. Are there muscles that have also helped with parenting? I mean, off the top of my head, the ability to pivot as a parent is key. And I can only imagine that, I mean, I come from a family of entrepreneurs, so I know that you've got to be able to pivot, but is there anything else about look, trying to look on the positive side of, of having so much to do? Is there anything about the, the approach to work that helps with your parenting? Well, you know, for me, um, <laughs> my business and what I do as a mom are, are very closely aligned in many ways, right? Because what I'm doing mm -hmm. for my business is I'm creating moments of fun in daily drudgery. Um, and, and, and that's what I think you have to do as a mom, right? I mean, particularly again in COVID, right? You've got to say, 
hey, it's 6.30, my Zoom calls are done for the day. We're going to turn on music and have a dance contest. And, you know, we're going to do it because we have all been staring at the same four walls and we just need to infuse a little bit of fun and light and laughter and love. And so I think the creativity of how do you engage kids and how do you, you know, bring them out of that that space of day-to-day doldrum um, I think that's important for all of us, right? It's, um, you know, those are the moments that they remember. If, if you have enough of those, those moments, have enough moments where you are making memories, right? Then those are going to be the memories that they hold on to. Not, you know, when you told them to clean up their room or when they, you know, got on punishment for three weeks. I mean, you know, they are going to hold on to those times where they made made those happy memories. And so so that's what I try to do. I try to, you know, just as we try to make our app fun and engaging and impactful um, and, and bring people into a space that is unexpected. I think as parents, we've got to do that sometimes, too. We've got to shake up the normal and we got to bring them to spaces that are surprising and unexpected. Absolutely. I, I definitely, you know, I, this podcast, I talk to people about the joy of parenting. And for me, part of the joy of parenting is trying to make it fun, because to your point, there's a lot about it that is not naturally fun. You actually get to have even a little bit more fun because your daughter has been helpful to you in the business. <laughs> she, she is a consultant. Is that not right? <laughs> she absolutely is. She is more help than I can even explain to you. She and I were laughing the other day because, you know, she was 13 years old and helping with our financial literacy quizzes. She was editing them and reading them. And when I say she was doing it, I mean, it was literally at one o'clock in the morning. She and I were both sitting on the couch together and she's like, mom, this one is uh, cringe. It's corny. No, 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 no. Can't do this one. We've got to change it. And, um, you know, and that, that's been a part of our secret sauce. I mean, she's, she's brilliant, but she's fun and funny and, you know, all of that personality has been poured into so much of what we've done too. Boy, I mean, how lucky are you? You don't have to pay for a, a marketing consultant. You have one, the one that lives with you. So, Girl, do you really think that I didn't have to pay her? Are you kidding me? <laughs> I didn't have to pay her the first week, but the second week when I asked for more help, she was like, wait a minute. Now, what am I getting paid for this? And we absolutely negotiated a rate, Carol. Well, good for her. She learned well. <laughs> So you mentioned your husband. I love that expression. And um, I know that that you've talked about in the past your parenting village. I mean, you have a husband, you have a partner, you have um, friends and family. Can you talk a little bit about how that has come together? Because you've said it helps you manage your life, but so many people who are who are not with the the parent of some of their children have difficulty in making things work with them. How have you managed that? Well, you know, the interesting thing is that when you are so busy, you know, you, you recognize that that superwoman complex has to erode very, very quickly. You just mm-hmm. cannot do it all. And um, for me, most of my family is in California. All of my family is in California. So I live in Bedside, Brooklyn, and Bedside quickly had to become that place of community and family and support. And it, it really started when, you know, our kids were very young, when we would go to the local coffee shop and all the moms would sit outside and, you know, we held each other's kids and our kids played with each other. And on Saturday, we went 
to um, to story time with a, a wonderful woman, Miss Carol. Her name also happens to be Carol, um, who would read you know books at story time. And so, you know, being in a place where there was a strong black community and a strong black presence knitted us all together. So by the time my husband and I got divorced, we had all the same friends. I mean, it's like, you know, you're getting divorced, but you're still all in the same family. <laughs> and so, mm-hmm. you know, so you're going to see each other at, at the holiday dinner. You're going to see each other at Christmas dinner, right? I mean, that, that's how it goes. And so, you know, just like we learn to to deal with those folks who show up at Christmas dinner, who maybe we had a falling out with two years ago, um, mm-hmm. you, you have to learn that when you are a part of this extended family, that you all have to support each other because that's all you've got. And it's a beautiful thing in many ways to, you know, to, to almost have no choice because it's easy to walk away and it's easy to say this person is, you know, just too toxic and painful, et cetera. But that's ultimately not what's best for the kids. And it's ultimately not even what's best for you. It's hard to be a single mom or even a single dad um, and to do all of it yourself. And so, you know, I, I, I do think of this whole community as my community. I have neighbors next door. They have five boys. When the mom goes to the co-op um, during the pandemic, she would bring me home some of the broccoli because she knew that I loved the broccoli at the co-op. And when I went to Costco, mm-hmm. I would bring her home something from Costco. And and so, you know, I really believe that the, the sooner we all get back to this notion of we are a community and we are a family and we have to support each other because nobody else is coming for us, the better off we will all be. That's so true. And and I just have to emphasize how important it is that you, you mentioned it, it's really the best for the kids. It's so hard for adults sometimes to step away from their own feelings about other adults and, and make room for the kids. But it's very impressive. I Over the course of this podcast, I've had many guests who have been in your circumstance and who have managed to cra- knit together a really strong relationship with their, their wuzzes. <laughs> and so I'm impressed by that because it seems to me that that's really the only way to do it. And yet it's so difficult for people to do. One, one more question about, um, about your growing up and then how it's impacted your kids. So you did well in school. You went to Stanford University. You got two engineering degrees. You mentioned that your mom was an elementary school teacher. So edu- how was education approached in your family? And, and were you, how were you encouraged to do so well? Well, first of all, I, um, I skipped kindergarten. And I skipped kindergarten because my older sister... Uh, who was next closest in age to me, was four years older. And so I was kind of like, you know, her little doll. She would play, she would play school with me. And, you know, she would, and I, she would teach me to read as a part of her playing school with me. And so in spite of the fact that my mom had six kids, I had these older sisters who were very attentive with me and spent time so that by the time I got to kindergarten, I knew everything. And I remember that feeling. I distinctly remember being in kindergarten and having the teacher say, who knows how to count by tens? And my hand just shot up and I couldn't wait to get to the front of the classroom because I knew that I knew everything. And so that confidence that builds around you from, you know, knowing that you know the answer, feeling Mm -hmm. you're smart, that confidence is what I wanted for every one of my kids. And it's fact, when I was at Nickelodeon, that was the, the 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 story and the memory and the feeling that I used to drive my work at Nickelodeon to make sure that every kid who used our products 
by the time they showed up in kindergarten, they felt that confidence of, I know my letters, I know my shapes, I know patterns, I know, you know, all of the things that I'm supposed to know. So, um, so that's what I tried to do with my kids. I tried to give my kids early education, um, because that's what happened with me. And I think that when you give them early education, by the time they show up in a school setting where we're not sure what those teachers are going to think about, you know, our black boys and our brown girls, right? Mm-hmm. That, that they can immediately feel like I am confident and I am smart and I am capable and they can they can show that to the world. And so that, mm-hmm. that's really what I tried to do with my kids, make sure that they were prepared early. I've got a five-year-old right now who was, you know, he, he's a truant. I got to be honest with you, Carol. During COVID, I'm like, look, I, I'm on a Zoom call myself. I can't get you on your pre-K call. Sorry, you're <laughs> missing today's pre-K call. But, you know, listen, this is a five-year-old who, if I brought him in here right now and said, tell me what five times four is, he could tell you. If I said, tell mm-hmm. me what two mm-hmm. times six is, he could tell you. Because that's mm-hmm. the kind of work we do, even if it's at night for a few minutes, before we go to bed, you know, because I want him when he shows up in real kindergarten next year to be prepared. And that and that's the philosophy. And then beyond that, right, then it's about doing your best because all kids are not created equally. There are some kids who are going to be great science kids and other kids who are going to be great, you know, math and arts kids. And, and, and you know, the world shows us that you can be, I, I don't know what, Kamala was great at in the seventh grade. No <laughs> idea what she was great at, but I know that she's a great, great at a lot of things now. And you know, mm-hmm. and I think what's important for us as parents is our kids don't have to be perfect in order to become extraordinary adults who are contributing in fantastic ways. Let them be good at the things that they love and the things that they are going to be good at and bolster and support those and make sure they do well enough in the other stuff to get into the college they need to get into. But, you know, they don't mm-hmm. have to be perfect at everything. And and that was something that I had to learn because I didn't know that when I was growing up for myself. I certainly tried to be perfect at everything for myself. That was a learning for me as a parent. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I the same for me, and, and I at the risk of generalizing, I think a lot of, of uh, children who, particularly girls perhaps, who get a lot of... Um, good feedback early on and who are, who are complimented and praised for what they know or, or some aspect of themselves. There's this urge to continually get that approval and the need to be in the theory that you are in order to do that, you have to keep doing everything right. And, you know, I, I've heard you talk about sort of trying to step away from that model of perfection. And I think that's really important for those of us who have children, particularly girls, but boys as well. I mean, we want them, we want everyone to be, as you said, focused, confident, feel smart when they enter school and then do the best they can once they get in there. So that, that is great, great advice. So Tanya, I am going to wrap it up here, but first I want to say thank you so much for this conversation. Okay. Quickly before you go though, I have to ask you to do one more thing and it's fun (laughs) and play the GCP bonus round. Two quick questions. The first one is tell me your favorite poem or favorite saying doesn't have to be a poem, but something that's, a favorite quote or poem that comes to mind? Oh, one of my favorite poems has always been uh, Life for Me Ain't Been No Crystal Stare by Langston mm. Hughes. I actually don't even think that's the title of it, but you know, that is the main refrain. Um, 
Mm-hmm. And, and I love that poem, you know, because I think it applies to so many of our experiences. So many Black folks' lives have not been a crystal stair, but you keep climbing. And um, and that's what we do. Absolutely. In fact, that poem, and I'm not alone in this, I've talked to many friends, our parents quoted that so often, we thought it was their saying and then came to find out it was actually a poem. But life for me ain't been no crystal stair. I definitely grew up hearing that. Absolutely. <laughs> so. The, the the last question is your favorite children's books, and they can be books you grew up with or ones that you like to read to your kids. One of my favorite children's books is Yertle the Turtle by Dr. Seuss. I, I love that book, how, you know, little Yertle just, you know, through his tenacity overthrows, you know, he, he, he makes a difference. He makes a difference mm-hmm. just with his one small action and his decision that he is not going to fall in line. He makes a difference. And how important that is for us all to understand and for our kids to understand too. Um, and let me see, what's my second favorite children's book? Um, I'm trying to think of what's my second book, Carol. Um, we'll stay with Yertle the Turtle and uh, okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll keep that one. All right. So again, Tanya, thank you so much. Thank you, Carol. And it's been, it's great to have you with us. And I'm so glad you had me. Thank you. I hope everyone listening enjoyed this conversation and that you'll come back for more. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe, rate, and review where you find your podcasts and tell your friends. In the meantime, please check out the Ground Control Parenting blog at www.groundcontrolparenting.com for tons of parenting info and advice. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Ground Control Parenting and on LinkedIn under Carol Sutton Lewis. Please send comments and questions on any of these platforms because we really want to hear from you. Until the next time, take care and thanks for listening.